podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Tuesday during an international break where there's not a whole lot going on. But what there is is still some fallout from Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest at the weekend and a lot of consternation over the rivalry and the tribalism and Forest fans, without question, going a little bit too far with some of their chants. I've seen some well-respected Forest fans speak out openly against the portions of their fan base that were heard singing some very derogatory things in the game on Sunday and getting shouted down by the Forest fan base. It's important to remember that for Liverpool going to Forest, it felt like another game. Just us going to play a lower league team in the FA Cup. For them, it was a much bigger deal. You have to remember, Nottingham Forest at one point were European champions, back-to-back years. They won the league title, won back-to-back European Cups, and stayed relevant through the 90s. Since then, they've been a lower league team. And... Their fans still crave the days where they were spoke about in the same breath as Liverpool and Arsenal and Manchester United and Aston Villa, European Cup winners at the time. We forget, because we've always been in that top flight for all of our lifetimes, that it hasn't been quite as good for other clubs. It's been difficult for Forrest and their fans to accept what's happened to them in recent years. You look at their history, and obviously they spent much of their time in the lower leagues. But when Brian Clough took over and brought them back up into the top flight and won the title at the first time of asking, won back-to-back European Cups, kept them in the top half for the majority of their tenure in the top flight. First, second, fifth, seventh, one season and twelfth, third, ninth, eighth, eighth, back to back third place finishes in the late 80s, ninth, eighth, eighth, and then they get relegated. They go down for a season, they bounce back up, they finish third, they finish ninth, they get relegated. They come back up, they get relegated straight away. And since 1999, they have been a lower league team. And that includes three seasons that were spent in League One. So for them, 
to finally look like they've got a real team again, for them to have had a good cup run, it's a big deal. It is a big deal for them. You look at their FA Cup history, the last time they were in the quarterfinals was 95-96. They haven't had much of anything to cheer for a long time. They finished second in League One in 07-08 and got promoted back to the championship. That was really it. They've had a couple of playoff appearances since, but the last decade or so has been really tough for them. In the championship, 19th, 8th, 11th, 14th, 16th, 21st, 17th, 19th, 7th, and 17th again. It really has been a difficult time for them. And a lot of their fans have a lot of pent-up frustration with their own club, with the ownership of their club, not just this owner, but past owners as well. The guy this owner bought the club off did great work. He didn't have an enormous fortune to plow into the club, but he put as much as he could in. And he did a great job at getting them back at a League One into the championship, but he couldn't take them any further. Before that, they were horribly run. And those frustrations tend to boil up when they see other clubs being successful. And it's not just Forest fans. It's it's all clubs. Think of the, the hatred that's out there, legitimate hatred that's out there for the big six and for fans of the big six. And how you get Everton fans, as an example, trying to take the moral high ground. Oh, well, you were part of the greedy six. You had that horrendous program on Sky Sports the other night, Super Greed, about the Super League. The most one-eyed view of anything you'll ever see from the company most at risk if the Super League went ahead because they wouldn't have broadcasting rights. They've paid a fortune for the Premier League and they stood to lose absolutely all of their audience if the big six left to go and play in the European Super League. Forest fans are the same. They look at the big shiny clubs and a lot of them remember a time where they were one of the shiny clubs. And if they don't remember, their fathers and mothers remember. Those stories get passed down about what we were under Brian Clough and how he came in and rescued us and brought us from the second division to the first division, won the first division the first year. We won back-to-back European Cups with the number one team in Europe. To fall from that to League One in 35 years, as it was, sorry, 25 years, is heartbreaking for them. And this is all built up, and that that anger turns to venom and gets directed out at clubs like Liverpool. Liverpool, who were once rivals of Forest from when Clough brought them up into the top flight, when Clough won those European Cups. We were the top dogs in Europe when they arrived in the first division. We were the best team in England. They took our league title, then, it, then they took our European Cup. So that rivalry was built then, carried itself through the 80s. And again, like I said, Forrest finished third three different times in the 80s. 
when we were winning league titles. And they represented a real challenge for us. So there was a real rivalry there. It's not a figment of Forrest's imagination. It's not like, say, the current Liverpool-Arsenal rivalry that Arsenal fans have tried to manifest. That rivalry was real. But as with Arsenal fans and Everton fans, clubs that were great rivals of ours and did have great success themselves, Arsenal under Wenger and obviously before that, Everton back in the 80s, when they have that fall from the level that their fans believe the club should be at, and a club like ours has a bit of a fall but then climbs back up, it's jealousy. And that's what it is. Forest fans are jealous of where Liverpool are right now because somewhere locked away in the back of their minds, they think they should be where we are. Despite not having the historical relevance that we have, they believe they belong among the elite because they're two-time European Cup winners. And there's not many clubs that have won the European Cup twice. You know, Chelsea, for all their money, won their second European Cup this year, uh, this season, last season. And Manchester City, for all their money, have never won it at all, let alone twice. You know, Alex Ferguson dominated English football for 25 years. He only won two. Brian Clough won two in two years. So, you know, you look up and down the list of clubs that have won it twice. Porto, massive club. Chelsea, mega rich. Benfica, massive club. Juventus, massive club. And to have won it more than that, you're looking at Inter Milan, Manchester United, Ajax, Barcelona, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, AC Milan, and Real Madrid. The creme de la creme of European football. Forest have won it more times than Celtic, Stoya Bucharest, Marseille, Borussia Dortmund, Feyenoord, Aston Villa, PSV Eindhoven, Red Star Belgrade. They're just the teams that have won one. They've won it more than Inter Milan. They've won it more than Leeds, than Borussia Mönchengladbach, than Man City, than Arsenal, than Tottenham, than PSG, than Roma. You know, they're clubs that got to a final and lost. Forrest got the two finals and won them both. They and Porto are the only teams that have played in multiple European Cup finals and won, both, and won each one. Everyone else who's played in more than one, who's won one, has also lost one. So they should be proud of who they are as a club and their record. They should be proud of the fact that they have a league title. Because for a small club like them, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but they're a, you know, they're a regional club. They don't have a global fan base. They've got a very, very loyal local fan base, but they don't have global reach. For them to have won a league title, two FA Cups, four League Cups, two European Cups, a European Super Cup, those are things they should be very, very proud of. But unfortunately for them, what they've done is they've allowed that 
to color their view of what they should be now. And unfortunately, they're just not that club anymore. And in all likelihood, barring another sheikh or group of Saudi Arabians or Qataris or whatever buying the club, they won't be that again. Now, if I was a mega rich Saudi businessman with, you know, a couple of billion to throw around, Forrest would certainly be on the clubs, the list of clubs I'd look to buy. I'd buy them quicker than I'd buy Chelsea because it's a much smaller initial investment and I'm actually buying a club with history. So you can talk about getting them back to where they once were when Roman brought Chelsea, bought Chelsea. What did they have? One league title? No European Cups? A couple of Cup Winners Cups, but they don't even exist anymore. Forest fans are bitter because of the fall. They're jealous because of where we are. They remember that rivalry. It's the greatest era in that club's history. When they were winning titles, winning European Cups and going head to head with us. We're a massive part of their history. They're just not a massive part of ours. And that makes them jealous. That makes them angry. And that's why you heard the chants you heard. Now, there's also an element of Toryism, of course. But, I mean, Nottingham's not a bad place at all. It's a great city. There's lovely people there. But unfortunately, there's always going to be a small percentage who spoil it for everybody. You can go to Anfield or any ground and there'll always be a small percentage looking to spoil things, looking to say nasty things. There's always a few. They might hide their thoughts and beliefs a bit better, but there'll always be a few who will look down on others. And obviously there is a national thing of people looking down on Scousers and whatever else for reasons that have no real logical explanation. I was watching the Wayne Rooney documentary, the, the documentary the other day on Amazon. And I, I got to thinking like Rooney was obviously an incredibly talented player and had a tremendous career. I don't believe he maximized his talent. And I think he was sort of finished by 27 or so, but I don't feel he ever truly got the respect he deserved. And I do wonder if that's in part because of how he speaks because of his accent, because of where he's from. I wonder if Wayne Rooney was from the home counties, if he wouldn't have been elevated far more. Think of those great Manchester United teams under Ferguson, and the one guy that was elevated above all others was David Beckham. What did David Beckham have that Giggs, Scholes, Keane, and better players than him didn't have? Well, he had a home counties accent. He was also much prettier than them, but he was held up as a footballer far more by the national media than any of them were, in part because he was a bit more outgoing. But I do think he also played better to a certain demographic. And I always wondered if Rooney would do better as well. And it hit me again when I was watching that documentary the other day. If Wayne Rooney was from... I don't know, Bedfordshire, wherever, you know, Hampshire, wherever you want to put him. If he was from any of those places, Kent, 
would Wayne Rooney have been adored more by the nation as a whole? I think people from certain northern cities, and it's not just Liverpool. Liverpool is the most obvious example. But, you know, people from Manchester, people from Newcastle, they get looked down on as well because they're more working class, they're more salt of the earth. And those cities, the three of them, have been able to regenerate themselves and thrive without government help. Those three cities have almost formed their own little republics. We always hear about the Socialist Republic of Liverpool. United fans and Man people from Manchester will talk about the Re Republic of Mancunia. And Geordies are the same. They view themselves as cut off from the rest of the country. And I think that makes people upset that those cities can thrive without the government, whereas certain other cities, and I'd point to a lot of the cities in Sheffield, or in, in Yorkshire rather, such as Sheffield, Bradford, Leeds, Huddersfield, those cities really couldn't survive without the government. When the mines went, those cities struggled. When manufacturing went, Nottingham began to struggle. Whereas Liverpool, Manchester and Newcastle, because they had ports, were able to continue on and the people had such strong character. I think that's also why we hear a lot of derogatory chants towards, you know, Scousers and you hear them towards Manx, you hear them towards Geordies, whatever. But I think a lot of that manifests at football as well. When tribalism becomes prevalent, you do get these small-minded individuals who will want to just, just strike out at anything. Just pick something and strike at it. Doesn't matter if it's true. You know, you, you, you've heard many people saying you'll never work again or sign on. And that includes football fans from cities with higher unemployment than Liverpool or Manchester or Newcastle. But they strike out of it because strike out at it because it's it's something that's been said before. It's something that was maybe prevalent years ago. It doesn't matter that those three cities have really glowed up. It doesn't matter that the city of Liverpool is as strong as it's ever been, that it's a cultural hotbed. Those people want you to believe media narratives. And one of the media narratives driven by outlets that won't be named on this podcast or anything else connected to Anfield Index, one of them will be that Liverpool is full of unemployed people and that Liverpool is full of people who commit crimes and things like that. Every city has that. Every city, every town. You go to any town in any part of England, Scotland, Wales, or even Ireland, and you will find unemployed people. You will find criminals. That doesn't define the area. It doesn't define the area at all. 
because it's not like it's a majority. It's not like if it's even a large percentage. And most of those people who are out of work would love nothing better than the opportunity to have a job, to be able to go and earn a living. Most of those people want that. It's not something they should ever be sneered at because of. But we, we heard in that game on Sunday, people from Nottingham sneering at Scousers. Sign on, sign on. Like, okay, your city had mass unemployment when much of your manufacturing closed down. Did anyone say it to you? No, you went crying cap in hand to the government. But the city of Liverpool and its people said, well, if the government aren't going to help us, we'll help ourselves and pull themselves up, pull themselves out of it. It bothers me when I hear things like that. But like I say, with Nottingham, And the Forest fans, a big part of it is bitterness, jealousy. There's a lot of unemployed people everywhere. Nobody should be singing about it. And just because you're jealous that your club is now a championship club and has been for a long time, you shouldn't take that out on others. You should enjoy the ride, enjoy the fact that you finally got a good team to cheer for. Enjoy the fact you've got a really good manager and you've got some really talented players like Brennan Johnson, like Joe Worrell, like Jed Spence. Now, Jed Spence obviously not owned by Forrest and is due to return to Middlesbrough in the summer, but maybe you can find a way to get that deal done. Enjoy what you have. Don't disparage others because they have more. That's just begrudgery. And it makes you look bad. We'll move around the main Liverpool sites quickly. Uh, This is Anfield, obviously, a few more bits and pieces about the game on Sunday. Uh, There's also an interesting story going at the moment that Uh, Liverpool supporters and Manchester City supporters have petitioned the FA to have the FA Cup semi-final moved. Now, my assumption would be that they'd want it moved to Old Trafford. Um, And the logic behind it, obviously, is the game is to be on a Sunday. There are no trains to and from London, from Manchester or Liverpool on that day. And that it's unnecessary to ask two northern clubs to trek all the way to London for a game that could very easily be played at Old Trafford. There's no problem at all with Chelsea and Crystal Palace meeting at Wembley. Personally, I think it would be better if that game took place at the Tottenham Stadium or at the Emirates. I think that would be better. I I prefer to have the semi-finals played in a club stadiums rather than at Wembley. Wembley should just be for the showcase, the final. And with a, an enormous stadium like Old Trafford, yeah, it's a bit run down, but it's still an enormous football stadium. 
why not use it? Why not use the Tottenham Stadium or, or the Emirates, which are massive stadiums in London, or the London Stadium either? You've got three options there. London Stadium might be the fairest one, um, but I, I don't like the semi-finals being played in Wembley, and I certainly don't like the idea of two northern teams having to trek all the way down when there's a perfectly fine stadium that is convenient for both teams. There is a roundup piece here on the on this is Anfield. Uh, Origi exit talk and Keita's early injury withdrawal. So Nabi pulled out of the Guinea team for their friendlies, which is uh, which is very very good. Um, there's a piece here: momentum on Origi to AC Milan after eight years. Devok Origi's time at Liverpool is set to come to an end this summer and talk continues to mount over his next destination being in Italy. The latest from what they've called transfer merchant Fabrizio Romano, tap-in merchant would be far more accurate, is that AC Milan would be one of the front runners. Um, Trent out of the injury of the international break, Naby out of the international break. Obviously Naby played against Forrest and looked absolutely fine when he was coming off, so Hopefully that's a bit of chicanery from Kloppo. Um, there's a piece here about the, the travel issues for the game, the semi-final being in London. Uh, there's a bit about David Ornstein's report that Liverpool have held serious conversations over Cody Gakpo, the uh, PSV Eindhoven winger. And then Jurgen Klopp talking about Liverpool's schedule for October, um, which is which is a it's a tough schedule. There's no there's no doubt about it. Uh, moving on to Liverpool.com. Liverpool have ideal Jurgen Klopp air who has snubbed Manchester United and is waiting for FSG. This is about Julian Nagelsmann. I have to say I was very high on the idea of Nagelsmann a couple of years ago. I'm less so now. I do think he's going to be a great manager. But I'd sort of like to see him stay at Bayern longer term. He This is his first season there. I'd like to see him do five or six years there and really prove himself among the elite before moving on. Klopp is set to leave in 2024. That gives two seasons. I don't know that Nagelsmann will be ready to either leave Bayern after just three seasons, or to join Liverpool at that point. I would be looking more at Hansi Flick. I think he would be the ideal one to come in in 2024 till, say, 2028. And then you go for someone like Nagelsmann. I think that's a better timeline, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Liverpool must face transfer departure through with ideal air after telling Jurgen Klopp claims. So this is a bit about Queeving Kelleher and how he might want to leave having been left out of the FA Cup team. I would imagine Kelleher was fully aware that he wasn't going to play in the FA Cup against Forrest. Uh, he was given, obviously, the League Cup and played the League Cup final and obviously had his moment when he scored his penalty, um, which is still, is still amazing to me that he scored his penalty, that he got to take a penalty in the penalty shootout. But uh, this piece suggests that Liverpool should look 
outside for a replacement for Kelleher if he were to move on. And I would look at our internal options like Pitaluga, who's extremely highly rated, and Yaros, who's had a couple of very good loan spells and is also very highly regarded and suggest that maybe we have options in-house who are the same age as the option mentioned here. Uh, Liverpool could disrupt contract talks to make 45 million transfer coup if one FSG condition is met. So this piece is about Raphael Liao of AC Milan, really talented player. The question would be, where does he play for us? Because he nominally plays from the left for them and we just bought Luis Diaz. So I don't really know how that would work unless we could move him central, which I do think he's capable of. He did develop as a striker, as a younger player, but he has predominantly played from the left as a senior player. Uh, Liverpool can sign £36 million star on a free transfer after FSG told contract will not be renewed. This is about Paolo Dybala. I love Dybala. I don't think we'll sign him. Liverpool could get Mohamed Salah contract fix. Um, I don't know what to make of the contract situation anymore. I was very confident. I'm less so now, but it's it's just so hard to know what happens. It really is hard to know what happens. I think he wants it done. I think the club want it done. I do wonder if his agent is just causing some issues. Um, there's definitely there's definitely some distance between the two clubs, between the two parties rather, when it comes to the overall package. Whether that's image rights or what, I don't know. But we may well see Mo leave in the summer. We'll keep our fingers crossed, obviously, that we don't. But it may come down to us having to sell him. And if it does, it does but he will be very difficult to replace. Uh, on AnfieldIndex.com, there are a couple of pieces up. Uh, there are player ratings from the Forest game. There's a piece called Bobby and the Etihad Corral. Uh, there's the best bits from the post-match raw, which Dan Kennett has put together. There is a new AI scouted. Myself and Carol Matchett decided to rebuild Manchester United uh, because why not? Uh, so we picked sporting directors, we picked head coaches, and we went through some changes to the squad. Uh, we start ourselves in a budget of 200 million because, you know, it's United, they've got loads of money, and we worked from there. Uh, I think my team was better. I'm sure he thinks his team was better. I'm right, he's wrong, and he won't listen to this, so it's fine, I can say it all I want. Uh, there will be a new old school today. Myself and Gags will be recording it at 4 p.m. No, sorry, 4.30 p.m on discord if you have heard this and want to listen to that we'll be there from 4 30 so see you then that's it for me for today speak to you soon bye-bye we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show the best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, 
we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.